Welcome to Election Profit Makers, your home for 24-7 sports and politics talk. Entertainment gossip also on the menu today for today's feast. So slide on up to the table. Pop your napkin and get your silverware out. There's much to be consumed today at our content diner. That's right. We got eggs, waffles, pancakes, hash browns, and a side of steamed spinach all ready for your delectation. If you like the food of kings, play on music, be the fruit of love. True content provided by the fine servers here at the Election Profit Makers Cafe. I'm your line cook today. My name is Long John. Oh, fuck it all to hell. Hey, David. Hi, how are you? (laughs) I'm all right. Well, we have a real treat today. Later on uh, in this episode, we're going to be talking to Alex Perrine of the New Republic about Kirsten Sinema. Uh, what does she want, and are we complicit in the downfall of America by even discussing her if she is truly a narcissist who only craves our attention? But before that, we have much to discuss. John, you had a dream that sounded really interesting, and I was wondering if you could talk about it right now. I had a dream about Tucker Carlson. And who is that? Uh, Tucker Carlson, he has a show on uh, Fox News Channel. What's it called? Probably Tucker I don't it's know. Yeah, I don't know what it's called either. It's interesting. So yeah, Tucker Carlson, he graces our televisions every night if you have Fox News Channel around 9 p.m. and uh, says all kinds of crazy anti-vax stuff and fascist stuff and things like that. And I had a dream about him. It uh, That guy is a, just as much of a jerk in your dreams as in, he, he as he is in real life. That's interesting. All so it wasn't the dream was not that he came up to you and said, "Hey, man, I'm actually a great guy. I love critical race theory. Let's be best friends." Yeah, or you know, it was like it was Tucker Carlson, but it wasn't Tucker Carlson. No, it was Tucker Carlson. It was just full on, yeah. straight up, unambiguous it, Tucker. Yeah, it was like we were hanging out on his set, and he was just a complete jerk. He was. Um, he, he was making fun of my dad in this in this dream. What? My dad was yes. In this dream, my dad was disabled. My dad's not disabled in real life. In in this dream, he was making fun of my disabled father, which you know that pissed me off. Well, what'd you do about it? I don't remember what I did about it. You man up. I don't exa- Come on, bro. I don't exactly remember what I did about it. I I probably you know told somebody. And then said, that's making me feel sad, you know? Mommy, the bow tie fascist is making fun of daddy. Yeah, I don't think I I fought him or anything like that. But I remember waking up being kind of, you know, a little off balance. It's always weird when a celebrity shows up in your dream. You know, we should be flattered that they deign to speak to us in the spirit realm. We had a um, conversation with one of our $100 a month donors. If you join the EPM Dark Money Group at patreon.com slash electionprofitmakers, you're entitled to a monthly phone call with John. And we were we were talking to this donor, asking them what their interests were, what topics we should cover, and how to bend our uh, content to their will, since they are a power donor. This donor said something very interesting. This donor said, I'm sick to death of all of David's stupid, goofy stories about his life. I want to hear more about John's life. That's what, not exactly what, what happened said. to John in his in his post-college career, in his 20s. Mm-hmm. And John said, Well, I guess I could talk about when I was a stethoscope salesman. 
And I said, excuse me, what very much? Go on. John, is it true that you were a stethoscope salesman at one point? Yeah, for a, a very brief time when I was unemployed. I, I used to work for AAA Carolinas. I was the the uh, director of traffic safety for North and South Carolina. Say that again, John. Say it again. I'm going to put some banging music under it. Yeah, yeah. I, I worked for AAA Carolinas. I was the director of traffic safety for the Carolinas, both North and South Carolina. And, uh, you know, I was in charge of safety patrol and, and all that stuff. So I have no idea anyhow. what you're talking about right now. What do you mean you were in charge of director of traffic safety? Did you work for the governor? Like, what does that mean? No, no. AAA. It's the American Automobile Association. It's a, you know, the big lobbying group. It's the NRA of cars. Yeah. More highways, more and more. So that's, yeah, that's who I work for. And I started, when I first started there, I did emergency road service and I would, you know, run dispatch and send tow trucks all over the place to go get people that were stranded. And uh, worked my way up to uh, member relations and then into, like, writing for them. I wrote a big article for uh, AAA Go magazine about uh, dangerous bridges, the top 100 dangerous bridges in North Carolina. Really? You got paid to do that? Yeah. 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 I was on TV. Yeah. Got you interviewed were, what? about that. Yeah. This is when you and I weren't hanging out a lot. You know what? Remember all the videotapes that I found the other day? Some of those dangerous bridges. Um, Media hits? Clips. Yeah. Hits are uh, on those videotapes. We got to get those videotapes transferred digitally. All the movies we yeah. made in, in ninth grade together. Oh, boy. Yeah. Okay. So you went on TV and you were the public face of AAA when it came to bridges and dangerous bridges. Now, what? But I want to know when you said something just now, you said, yeah, I was the director of traffic safety. Like, what? It makes you sound like a like you worked in a control <laughs> tower. Like, a <laughs> uh, red sedan, you need to move to your right. The blue car is trying to pass you. You're slowing up the traffic here. Uh, bas basically, what it meant is I just sent out, like, traffic safety, you know, oh, uh, okay. media relations to people. And I had to send out awards for people that won, like, safety patrol awards and things like that. It sounds like a bigger job than it actually was. Um but we did get to learn. We did get to learn a lot of cool things. We, you know, we had drivers come and teach us how to drive in cool ways. And <laughs> yeah, what's the coolest way to drive? Well, actually, you you're not supposed to drive at ten and two. You know how you they, the old way was a in the, we the way that we were taught at AAA is this push pull method. I don't even know if this is still a thing. It probably is. But we would teach police officers how to drive using the push-pull method. Uh, and you would have your hands basically at the opposite of 10 and 2. They were just pretty much resting in your lap. And you, would, and you, didn't, um, you didn't want to cross your hands like this because they could get kind of You mean when you're turning up. the wheel, you don't want your wrists to cross as you— Yeah, yeah. So it, 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 it seems sort of unbelievable, but then we would do uh, these, man, we got to cut all this stuff out, but we would, we would no, do well, I'm these. I'm not cutting shit. This is amazing. Okay. I've never heard any of this. All right. We would do these experiments where you would take a car down a, uh, we would set up traffic cones. So it would be a chute. And then at the very end, the chute would split off to the left or to the right. But we wouldn't, and, and so you would drive the car, and at the very last second, you would be driving, I would say, left. And then you would turn to the left. 
and or I'd say right. And when you were at 10 and 2, when you turned to the left or the right, you would almost always end up hitting a cone because you overcorrected. But when you were doing the push-pull method, you would just go right into that lane. You guys actually did these driving experiments? Yes. Yeah. You were involved in this? I was involved in this. This is this is in Charlotte? Yes. You're not lying to me right now. No, I'm not lying to you. I, I don't know what to say. Yeah. Just, just leave a little pause here for the audience to catch their breath. This is incredible. I had no idea you were doing actual car experiments at the AAA. Yeah. I mean, I was just witnessing the car experiments. I wasn't, like, designing the experiment or anything. Right. But, um, yeah, they they would be these seminars where we would teach people how to drive in this new way. Well, I'll just tell you and one thing. That way did it. not catch on for shit. You should have held more seminars because I've never heard of I've never heard of push pull. I've only heard of ten and two, and I love ten and two, and I always do ten and two. I just looked it up. Push pull method driving, shuffle steering, also known as the push pull method, involves pulling down on one side of the steering wheel with one hand while pushing up with the other hand on the opposite side. The two hands come together but never cross. They're continue continually shuffled to return to the nine and three o'clock positions. All right, let's turn to your career uh, as a stethoscope salesman. You said you were unemployed in Charlotte working for AAA designing experiments about steering wheel placement. Yeah, I'd left AAA, actually. I'd left AAA uh, and um, had moved to Raleigh, and I was unemployed at that point. And my uncle sold, um, you know, medical supplies, very successful salesman. And he invited me to come along with him for like one summer. And I, I, he, he was up in Virginia. I drove up there and, and, and stayed for a while. And we did that. But he had, they had a new kind of stethoscope that he was selling. This is what I want to hear about. I don't know if this is the main thing he was selling. Because these things were kind of like, they look like toys, really. They look like a raver's stethoscope. Yeah, yeah. They look like if you like went that. to a rave and you took too many drugs and you had to go to the emergency services tent and the nurse was like, don't worry, I'm cool too. I'm a raver too. And then they pulled out the stethoscope. You'd be like, ah. Oh. Yeah, that's right. So that's what uh, that's what we were selling. That's what we were pushing that uh, that summer. I think we sold a lot to like pediatricians, you know, to put kids it's a fun. It's a fun stethoscope. Like yeah. Now let's move on to the amazing story you told me about your roommate at the time. Yeah, actually, this was uh, my roommate earlier. I had a different roommate in Raleigh. But yeah, my roommate in Charlotte, uh, he did not know what a stethoscope was. We love it. Yeah. Serving it up piping hot here at EPM Cafe. Yeah, I was working at AAA at the time. So I think I was making probably $17,000 a year, you know, raking it in. He was probably making like $100,000 a year selling rubber widgets or, I don't know, financial plans. I mean, who knows what he was doing, but he did not know what a stethoscope was. But if you were at AAA at the time when you had the conversation, you had yet to become unemployed, moved to Raleigh, and worked for your uncle in medical device sales. How would stethoscope ever have come up? I have no idea how it came up, but I remember it came up and he was like, What's a stethoscope? So it wasn't like you were you didn't come home and say, great news, Rumi, I've got a new job selling raver stethoscopes. And he said, what's a stethoscope? It had nothing to yeah. do with this. I, I am 99.9% certain that uh, they, they are not connected. Weird stuff. How did you- He also thought that O.J. Simpson 
was innocent. Did that make you happy? Because you get pretty happy when people don't agree with you when people are guilty. Because when I watched Making a Murderer and I was convinced <laughs> that that guy had been framed for the murder, you got pretty happy with me and you weren't very frustrated at all. Yeah, all those guys are guilty. Friends, it's time for a brief portfolio update. You'll remember that last week, John told me 88 cents. Actually, it was 89 cents. I couldn't believe that John endorsed this, but he said for me to buy 200 shares, no, in Matthew McConaughey not being the 2022 Texas Democratic gubernatorial nominee. At 89 cents, I bought in. Yeah, I shouldn't have said that. As of yesterday, I was losing money, but today I'm up just a little bit. I'm up by one cent per share. I mean, the gubernatorial election is still, we're still a year out. That's that's not even going to, you know, that's no place. You don't want to park your money there. My feeling is that it will, in much sooner than a year from now, the market will resolve when McConaughey just announces like, yeah, sorry, I, uh... I spent this weekend trying to figure out what the hell politics was, and I just couldn't do it. So I don't think I should run for governor, man. It's just too heavy. You know, I was yeah. I was like, why do the capitals, why are there domes on the capitals, man? We need to figure that out before we can take policy positions on abortion rights and stuff, man. Like, ah, I give up. I just fucking give up. I'm going to go walk into the ocean. I think that will happen before he will... Before the market resolves when somebody else wins the Democratic nominee. So I'm not planning to hold all these shares for a full year. Believe me. I'll be out well before then. Okay. But I just wanted to give everyone a little update. Always love to see a little 50 cent, a 51 cent gain there. J.D. Vance, my long shot bet on J.D. Vance winning the Ohio GOP Senate primary is paying off to the tune of $4. John, for the first time ever... As far as I know, J.D. Vance and Josh Mandel are tied, bro. Who will win the 2022 Ohio Republican Senate primary? J.D. Vance has scooched up four cents to 37. He has tied Josh Mandel. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Ohio, you guys are spoiled for choice. I can't think of two strappinger young men. Is that how you would say it? I can't think of two... I can't think of two cooler guys to be represented by than J.D. Vance and Josh Mandel. You never thought this would happen, John. Admit it. You never thought this would happen. You did not believe in my boy, J.D. No, I didn't. Mark my words, John. That's a wily hillbilly. J.D. is a wily mountain man. Don't doubt me on this one. He's a wily, wily mountain man. Which party will win the Virginia governor's race? Democratic Party is trading at 77 cents, Republican at 26 cents. People are saying this is a huge bellwether for next year's midterms, this uh, Virginia gubernatorial uh, election. And I will say Terry McAuliffe has been blowing up my phone with donation requests. They're getting ex- they are getting increasingly panicked in nature, but I kind of think he's going to win. I don't know it, if I think I would- it'll be close. Yeah. It'll be close. Uh, but I think he's going to win as well. So why don't you I, buy I wouldn't it at 77? Buy, would, would I buy at 77? No, I wouldn't buy at 77 because I think the way uh, the returns come in on election night, 
the like Fairfax is going to report really late this year because they they've made some changes and Fairfax is uh, a, a pretty blue county. So I think Yunkin is going to have a lead for a while. So you might that that price might drop. You might be able to get a better price. Now I'm thinking not a guarantee that McAuliffe, McAuliffe wins. But it's a guarantee that you could get a, a better price than 77 cents. Your qualified advice for our listeners is that they log on to predict it on election night for the Virginia gubernatorial returns to start coming in. Yunkin will take a lead. He'll spike on predicted. And that's when you buy McAuliffe. Yes. Yes. That's right. And put your hands in push and pull position. Yes. Get them off the 10 and 2 for this one, folks, because there's going to be some wild rides and some hairpin curves on election night for the Virginia governor's race. We hope so, yeah. We are pleased to be joined now by Alex Perrine, who you know from his role as contributing editor at The New Republic, his podcast, The Politics of Everything, and now most recently, his newsletter, The AP Newsletter. That can be found at theap.substack.com. Flirting on a razor's edge with one of the most powerful (laughs) news organizations on earth. Alex, we we salute your bravery. And we're excited to have you because we, like you, are take-no-prisoners kind of guys. We are not politically correct. We are not afraid of anyone. And if you try to cancel us, we'll cancel you. So, Alex Perrine, welcome to the diner. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. Good. I've always wanted to say stuff like that, and it's really nice to say it to someone other than my longtime co-host, John Kimball. <laughs> so as an outsider, did that make you very excited and stoked <laughs> to talk to us? I'm revved up now. Yeah, okay. I am. I'm psyched. Great. Alex, we wanted to talk to you because you wrote a great uh, essay for your newsletter, theap.substack.com, about someone that John and I and a lot of other Americans have been have been studying, and that person is Arizona Senator Kirsten Sinema. And I think the title of your essay kind of summed up What's at issue here? The title of the essay, simply put, is What is Kirsten Sinema doing? Mm-hmm. Alex Perrine, we've been dying to ask you, What is Kirsten Sinema doing? You can sort of answer that question in two different ways. And the first, I think, easy way, there's one first easy way, and that is what she is doing is trying to derail or pare back or tank the reconciliation bill that contains Joe Biden's basically entire domestic agenda. And she's doing that on behalf of moneyed interests, and doing it on behalf of lobbyists, doing it on behalf of corporations that have her ear. So in one sense, that's the easy answer. She's trying to make this great big bill less progressive. Um, But then it's actually a more interesting question than that because that's actually what a lot of senators are trying to do. (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of the boring answer. I mean, she has pink (laughs) hair and wears filthy jewelry with bad words on it. It's like, you're telling me she's just a completely boring, semi-corrupt politician? Yes, exactly. So, you know, you could compare her to, I mean, obviously you can compare her to Joe Manchin, who is really sort of clear in what he's doing. He's like, I don't like, I don't like all this transition to a green energy stuff. Um, you know, I have issues with, you know, he has these sort of like, the, the number can't be too big. He has all these really concrete objections that are really sort of, um, I think, like, not very sound, but that are explainable. And cinema, the way she's been negotiating this is has been basically by in public, refusing to say what she wants. And then it's even reported that she won't even really say in private what she actually wants. She's just acting um, in a way where you have to guess at her motivations and you have to guess at what her goal is. And um, 
It's been reported that she won't even negotiate with her Senate colleagues. She's only negotiating with the White House, all these other things. Meanwhile, um, Joe Manchin comes from, as we know, a very conservative state that voted for Trump by a lot. And Kirsten Sinema comes from pretty much the consummate purple state, um, which uh, in which it has already been proven that you can win an election statewide as a Democrat without having to ostentatiously perform all of these conservative revolts against the Democratic Party like that someone like Manchin does. And, you know, we talk about like John Tester, who's, a, who's another from another conservative state, but who doesn't act like this. And there's a lot of reasons why senators act the way they act. But then so people are like, it's okay. So why is Sinema doing this? Meanwhile, uh, her Democratic colleague from Arizona, Mark Kelly, is not doing this. He seems to be doing fine politically. And he's up for re-election much sooner than Cinema. Yes. He's up next year. Right. We'll learn a lot from his election. Yeah, we, uh, right? yeah it's actually, we, it, it'll, it'll be really interesting to see what happens here because Kelly's up for a re-election sooner and he has decided, apparently, that the, just being a normal partisan Democrat is a viable way for him to get re-elected. Mm-hmm. Let me interrupt just really briefly. Predictit.org, which is the very cool political betting website that John and I use um, because we're very cool— <laughs> they have the Mark Kelly odds trading at 59 cents, whereas the Republican, the generic ballot for who will win the Arizona Senate in 2022, Republican is only at 46. So according to Predicted, there's a 13-point spread between Mark Kelly and whatever uh, nunchuck-twirling Republican um, challenger he faces. Right. And something else that has happened is that Cinema has, in her own state, tanked her support with among Democratic voters. So this is uh, Data for Progress had a poll out, and Cinema's not up until 2024. But so this is early to be polling this stuff. Um, but Cinema's uh, a, a negative opinion, like Democratic prime, likely Democratic primary voters, now really do not like Kirsten Cinema in the state of Arizona. And Data for Progress polled multiple named other Democratic politicians. They were leading her by double digits. It was, I think, Ruben Gallego letter 6223, right? Mm. That's really bad numbers for an incumbent who could actually face a primary. Yeah, but if everybody hates you, you must be doing something (laughs) right, man. That's That's stand-up comedy 101, right? But the primaries are open, right? That's the other part of it. That's the other part of it, right? So... Um, in Arizona, they're not fully open, but in Arizona, if you are not registered with a party, you can choose one party's primaries to vote in. <clears throat> so this is the taking cinema sort of at her word version of this. And this was a theory that I first read from a, a, a letter that Josh Marshall posted at, in TPM from a reader of his. Um that was an Arizona resident, and he, he said, well, look, independents can vote in primaries here. And if you look at all of her messaging in state, all the mailers were getting, they highlight her independence. And so I think she's going to try to win re-election with a bunch of independent voters and maybe former Republican voters. And that's how she's going to win her primary. I think, that's, I think that is a thing she could believe. But I, I also think her numbers are so bad at this point that you yeah, have to wonder— happening. Yeah, you have to wonder if she thinks there will be – Arizona has a lot of officially independent voters, but, like, enough to beat that deficit um, in a Democratic primary. Is it really enough to beat that massive deficit in Democratic primary? Right. Let me read you something you wrote in your essay. 
although it starts off with a very controversial phrase, I'm not really a better, you wrote. <laughs> but that's fine. We'll forgive you, Alex. I had we'll you in the you. back of my mind, I think, when I wrote that. <laughs> I'm not really a better, but I'm pretty sure right now that Kirsten Sinema is going to formally leave the Democratic Party in the near future, probably after the 2022 midterms. I also think that if Republicans win control of the Senate in those midterms, she will choose to caucus with Republicans. I suspect Sinema decided to leave the party years ago and has simply been waiting for the most dramatic moment to do so. That's right. <clears throat> that's what I think she's doing. That was That's my answer to the question. Yeah, that's a hot take. Yeah. Do you feel like you're alone out there in that? Um, I think I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm the first person to sort of go out on the record saying that. Yeah. Um, and I actually, the one reason I wrote this is because a few years ago, I wished— to have had on the record a prediction that I thought in my head that I didn't make public. And oh my even, God, what's the prediction? What's <laughs> so the prediction? It, was, it was that if um, if in 2018, the if the Senate was, um, if it was a, a Senate like we have now, a 50-50 Senate, um, or a 49 or whatever Senate, if it was, if it was like one seat would make the difference, I thought Murkowski would go independent when Trump was president. So oh. that didn't end up happening. My prediction my prediction didn't end up happening. So it's good you kept it to yourself. So it's good I kept it to myself. Mm -hmm. But this time around, you're a little confident. You're <laughs> ready to make around, this prediction. I'm, this time around, I'm thinking, you know what? Like, I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to put it on the record. Um, and That's I, good. I mean, we I, respect that. I think that because of, of reporting that I have read about cinema that suggests she is not just alienating Democratic voters. She is entirely cutting herself off from the state party apparatus. So she, um, it's sort of well known now that she won't take meetings with activists. She won't do town halls. Um, but all these organizations in Arizona that were crucial to her winning the election in the first place in a very close election. They can't get her on the phone. She seems completely uninterested in these local people who knocked on doors for her, but also in the state party itself and the sort of organizations that, that make up its volunteer base and all these other things. What she is doing is going around the globe raising money. So there's one theory of Kirsten Cinema that what she's looking for is a payday when she's done in the Senate. She'll serve a term. She'll go to a, some corporate lobbying gig. She'll be on a corporate board. Like she's just going around, like getting names for her Rolodex to cash in afterwards. But how useful is that if everyone hates you by the well, time that's you're done? <laughs> so right. That's one thing about lobbying is that um, it doesn't you actually, matter. <laughs> you need to be popular. You need well, right? It does matter, John. It does matter. No, but John, I think John meant that it doesn't matter. Um, what you have necessarily what your record is. Anyone can be a lobbyist afterwards. Right. But it does matter. It does matter that you have a good relationship with your former colleagues. And cinema's not even doing the bare minimum to like maintain a good relationship with her former colleagues. This, you know, there was a Daily Beast story was sort of what led me to, to write this finally. And the reporter basically said, you know, all senators and former senators have entire like networks of former staffers who are incredibly influential and get each other jobs. Cinema doesn't really have that network. And the only person you could get on the record saying anything good about her was a an Arizona Republican strategist. Like, literally, like, people who used to consider her a friend are no longer, or they're like, we can't get her to answer the phone. So, as I said, she's also fundraising. She's going around, she was in Paris, she's been fundraising constantly. 
Um, fundraising is, you know, you can do a lot of things with money that you get for your campaign, but, like, one reason to fundraise is to fund your campaign. So if she was thinking, I'm going to be a one-term senator and I'm going to cash out, like, I don't know that she would be spending so much time cultivating donors around the entire planet. It suggests to me she plans to run for re-election and doesn't care if her state party is involved in her campaign at all. So mm-hmm. that was a logical conclusion I, I was forced to make. <laughs> she once protested Joe Lieberman, and now she is going to follow in Joe Lieberman's footsteps. I Arizona so. for cinema. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like the Connecticut for Lieberman party. Exactly. Okay, I'm going to have to mention this because we're seeing this on Twitter all the time. David Shore. Okay. <laughs> okay. So he has posited that uh, that the state parties don't necessarily mean that much and that people win these elections not necessarily because of things that are on the ground, uh, things that are happening on the ground, but just the message. Is it possible that she's been shore-pilled and she believes, I don't— oh! I don't need. (laughs) Yeah, I don't need the state party. I'm going to do this on my own because you sort of said she has this high uh, opinion and believes that she is the one that is uh, in charge of her destiny. Yeah, I think so. But I, I think that, I think that is what she, what she believes. Believes right? Not necessarily true. Yes, and I think um, she thinks of herself as the inheritor of John McCain or would like to be the inheritor of John McCain's sort of <clears throat> legacy of independence. Um, the funny thing about, to mention Shore, because the thing we all talk about with Shore is popularism. And this is kind of the paradox of a figure like Kirsten Cinema. Like one of the main things that she is opposed to in this reconciliation bill is allowing Medicare to negotiate drug prices, which is you literally cannot find an issue that pulls higher. You can't right. find an issue that pulls higher <laughs> in the United States than right. that. And a, then maybe Squid Game, but that's yeah, it. right. And then, but then a senator who a, that a senator would oppose that in order to burnish her credentials as a maverick independent is not rational. And yet, it's the sort of thing that happens in the Senate all the time. Um, but I, but this is why this is why I think too that. Um, it's not just that because you know there's a you could make an argument that she will do something like Bernie Sanders who wins democratic primaries and then runs as an independent in the general like that might be what the kind of thing she's she is planning to do but i the reason i said she will join the republicans if they win control of the senate is because i think that like she wants to make a public break with the party and is waiting for the right time for the opportune time to do it and i think it's because of this sincere but strange and misguided idea that that she's an incredibly uniquely talented politician who knows exactly how to win elections when the loser Democrats don't know what they're doing. I think mm-hmm. she's got a very high sense of self-regard and thinks that she's figure out she's figured out some like brilliant way to like keep winning. Okay. So I have a couple quick questions. Well First thing is, we should acknowledge, however briefly, that we are three guys psychoanalyzing this woman we don't know. That feels a little (laughs) sketchy, but whatever. (laughs) She likes the attention. I guess she'll take what she can get. Um, The second thing is, so I used to think that this was all about her literally just craving attention. And the thing I couldn't understand about it was, well, if she likes attention and she likes being talked about, 
If she wanted a lot of attention, at the last second, she would just say, fuck it, I'll vote for whatever you guys want. Six trillion, look at me, I saved the day. Yeah. Like how everyone went crazy on Twitter the night that John McCain, th you know, put his famous thumbs down mm -hmm. uh, for ACA repeal, which she obviously cosplayed when she voted against the minimum wage, right? Mm -hmm. But, so it's obviously not neutral to positive attention. My, my long-distance psychoanalyzing of Kirsten Sinema, and I can do this because I've been in therapy, <laughs> is that she kind of likes negative attention. Mm -hmm. I think John once called it trolling. And Alex, you and I, when we had drinks years ago in pre-pandemic era, I was telling you about my favorite theory that I read about that I can't remember who said it, but it's the little aphorism that Republicans fear their base and Democrats hate their base. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think that, I don't think that's true for across all members of each party, obviously, but I think there is something with Kirsten Sinema where she has literally been backed into a corner in a restroom about her <laughs> insane policy preferences. Mm. At this mm. point now, I think she's just like, and again, I know it's gross to analyze this woman I've never met, but I think there's part of her that's like, fuck you, you make me feel bad about my decisions, just wait. I'm gonna make you hate me so much you won't be able to stand it which is how I am every time I go on stage at a comedy club <laughs> and people start booing me for my hot takes. It's like, just wait till you hear what I'm about to say. So she's, she's doing like, she's doing like anti-comedy, but in the Senate, right? Yeah. I, I, I think there's something to the fact that, as you mentioned, she used to be someone who would criticize Joe Lieberman for being a fake Democrat. She used to be a fucking code pig. She was, yes, yeah, she was a I member mean, of the- on. She was a Green Party activist. But so then look at her trajectory since then. She used to be a loser nobody listened to. And now she's one of the most powerful uh, people in the entire country. Sir. And, and I think that um, she believes that right, the people cornering her in a restroom are losers like she used to be. They're exactly <sighs> like her. Oh, my God. I'm getting goosebumps. Oh, <laughs> like, this is cutting these, so close to the bone here. These, <laughs> these are the losers like I, that I used to be before I got smart and discovered how power works. And this is how power works. I'm now, I'm wielding mm -hmm. it. But as That's soon as she caucuses feeling. with the Republicans, she gets dumped back down to a level of, like, doesn't really matter who she is. Like, whatever, right? Uh, that's why I think it would be, like, because right now, right, she's the she's the 51st vote or she's the 50th vote. Um, but she'd be even less important in a Republican Senate if she remained with the Democratic Party. Maybe she'll cycle all the way through and go back to being in the Green Party. Yeah, may, I mean, You know, maybe, maybe this is like samsara or whatever, the wheel of suffering of a politician <laughs> who has no core principles. They just cycle through all the extremes. But yeah, I mean, so my idea was, you know, um, not even that, because it's hard to actually say what policy concessions she would want, but not even just that she would just move parties just for, like, raw power reasons, but even just for the... It, the narrative arc, almost, <laughs> of, like, her her journey, right, from the left fringe to abandoning the Democrats for being just way too radical, especially if Republicans win the Senate. It's a ready-made storyline. David Horowitz. Yeah, yeah. David Horowitz did that. It would be the story of, like, um, you know, Americans have just rejected this, this radical Democratic Congress, and in order to best represent Arizona, um, I can't keep coxing with this, this party. What is going to happen, Alex, with the Biden agenda and with the midterms and with 2024? Tell us now. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I, I guess I already, this is another thing that I already sort of put out there as a prediction, right? So I already said on Twitter months ago, they're going to pass a highway bill, by which I meant the infrastructure bill. And then they're going to like, I don't understand how they think they're going to do anything else. Um, so far, I haven't seen, I mean, 
look, there's we might end up the, up, the, up with a really pared back version of whatever Biden originally, originally wanted to do. I think doing all that stuff in his agenda would be good for normative reasons. I think uh, uh, midterm loss is already locked in, and the only question is um, just, like, are Republican secretaries of state just going to, like, throw out the election, like, vote totals in the next presidential election? They might. I mean, they're laying the groundwork for it. And so I'm I'm fully on board the sort of worst-case scenario for everything Mm -hmm. right now. When it comes to the reconciliation package, unpredicted, there's a market. How much spending will be in the reconciliation package? And there are a lot of different brackets. There's a lot of different options for what you can choose. And right now, the leading option, I, I hate to say it, first of all, because I think it's bad for the country and also because I didn't buy into this bracket, <laughs> is $1.5 trillion or lower. Mm-hmm. These two senators are really going to knock $2 trillion off this piece of legislation? Yeah, they are. Yes. <laughs> I kind of feel if that, I kind of feel like God. that, just the, the, that inordinate amount of power being wielded by two people who are gutting progressive popular, po- popular right. legislation, coupled with re- like Republican state legislatures just throwing out vote totals. I, I mean, a lot of people are probably going to be like, yeah, maybe we don't need democracy. Fuck it. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's right. certainly not working. Yeah. Yeah. One person said we can't negotiate for lower drug prices for Medicare. Like, <laughs> what, what are we doing here? Why am I waiting in line to vote? And this is another reason why all of the focus on <clears throat> messaging, democratic messaging, just seems so absurd to me. Um, because, yeah, Joe Biden had a winning message. His winning message was, vote for me, everything will get back to normal again, and I know how the Senate works, and I'll get stuff done. Um if if it turns out that his messaging is betrayed by reality, then how good was the messaging? <laughs> oh, so you're ready for worst case scenario. I hate to put myself, mm. I guess I have to get ready to fuck it. I feel like it can't be less than 1.5. That they'll just be like, fuck it, let's not even bother then. Uh, what are the what is the bracket above that? Hold on just a moment, Alex. We have to talk brackets really quickly. It's 1.5 or lower, 1.5 to 1.75, 1.75 to 2. That's in second place. And then the one I bought into was 2 was two to 2.25 trillion. That's the one that I thought it was going to be. And but I think, wi- it, I think it might that's be just bet. under was, 2. I think it might be me. just under 2. Well, I hope they do something. But I have no uh, idea. I, I don't John, know. <laughs> do you have any more questions about cinema? Because I want to ask about premium uh, cable shows that premiered last no, week. No, no. Alex? Yeah. Succession. Yeah. Season three premiere last night, HBO. We're recording on a Monday. What are your thoughts on Succession in general, and what are your thoughts on the premiere specifically? Uh, I love Succession. Um, I I, actually, I don't really watch very much TV these days. Ooh, fancy boy. <laughs> but Succession, I do watch. I think it's very funny. Uh, I am a big fan of Brian Cox. I'm a big fan of Brian Cox yelling and swearing. Um <laughs> Uh, I'm a fan of of the the very strange accent choices made by many of the actors on Succession, and uh, I enjoyed last night's episode quite a bit. I was happy it was back, and I thought it was like didn't miss a beat. It was like it was it was a really good episode, and I'm excited for the season. Okay, that was good. John, did you watch Succession? No, I've never watched a single episode. <laughs> you should watch it. It's pretty good. Yeah, I'd good love show. to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it I'm grows just, on you. Yeah. When I first okay. started watching, I was like, I don't need to see rich people behaving badly. If I wanted to see that, I would turn on the news. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it, it's it's good. But I have to say, Alex, and I'm only saying this to you, 
I might not even put this take in the edit because it's so hot. <laughs> last night, it felt like the seams were starting to show a little. Oh, Two years since the last season, and Brian Cox, or should I say Logan Roy, is still sitting around wondering which of his kids he should appoint yeah, to be the kinda, CEO. That's... It's kind of like, oh my God, how many times are we going to have this conversation? <laughs> and, then in or- and then in order to make it exciting, like it's a live debate— they have to act like fucking Roman is qualified to be the CEO. This guy blew up a rocket ship. Right, yeah. I mean, the Roman stuff on. was very funny. Uh, I, I, You know what? I, I mean, I think that is, I think that's true of a show that backed itself into a corner by being about that question. But I do think what's funny, and I actually mentioned this on our podcast that I do for The New Republic, we had an episode where we talked about succession and corporate crime. And I said on that episode, one of the funny things about the show as a, as a sort of, um, almost meta joke is that it's supposed to be a show about this old guy with power going away and he just won't do it, which is like, you know, you want to talk about the one of the defining stories of American society in the 21st <laughs> century. It's that, yeah. right? Like everyone is like, what are we going to do when this old guy with power goes away? And the old guy with power is just like, I'm sticking around. I don't know. I'm not going anywhere. I guess I'll run again in 2024. Fuck yeah, it. Yeah, why not? <laughs> All right. You don't watch a lot of TV. What do you do then? You don't watch a lot of TV. Uh, what do I do? I like watch. I mean, I you know, I watch other things. I watch sports. I watch old movies. And uh, every now and then I, I play video games. Those are the things I do. <laughs> you've said your piece. You've made your statement. You've taken no prisoners. <laughs> you've enraged all the right people. We knew you were going to burn up this mic, Alex Perrine. Thanks for coming to our EPM Diner open mic. All right. Thanks, guys. John, there's big news this morning, Monday morning, out of um, basically our home district, Orange County, North Carolina. Tell us what happened. Longtime representative, uh, Congressman David Price, a Democrat who has represented the 4th Congressional District here in North Carolina for 34 of the last 36 years, I believe, is stepping down. He is retiring. Finally, Someone retires. Right. He is 81 years old. He's retiring, not because the district is, is uh, you know. In flux. Not because the Democrats are going to lose the district. He, I, th- I think he just thinks it's uh, time, or maybe he thinks that uh, the Democrats are going to lose the House, and that's never any fun. So he, he's 81. He's stepping down. He was elected 1986. We were 14 years old and won 17 of 18 elections since then. He, he lost in 1994 and was out for, uh, for a couple of years, but then won again. He won by an average of like 30 points yeah. over, over that time. I always liked him because he actually came to politics from academia rather than business or law. Mm-hmm. I always thought that was cool. He, he, he was like really into like political science and philosophy and stuff. And also his son was a classmate of ours at high school and played in one of the best high school bands of our graduating class. Yeah. Anyway, sad news uh, because he was all, you know, he was, he was anti-Iraq Iraq war back in 2003. Yeah. Good, good solid Democrat. Anyway. Yeah. Just acknowledging but, some North Carolina political news. Yes? Yeah, but probably time, you know, pro- probably yeah. time for, for some new blood. John, let's move on to UNC Football Corner. What's going on? All right. Well, this week, UNC took on two and three Miami at Keenan Stadium in Chapel Hill and jumped out to a 38-17 to 17 lead. 
uh, before being outscored 25 to seven in the final quarter and a half. Miami was able to cut it to 45 to 42. They got within three points. They were inside the UNC 20 yard line and in a position to kick a field goal to send this to overtime. And they decided they were gonna take one last shot at the end zone to see if they could win it in regulation. That pass got tipped at the line of scrimmage, went up in the air, and UNC intercepted it. So the Tar Heels won. They escaped. It was nothing to be proud of. Afterwards, head coach Mac Brown said that if the UNC fans couldn't celebrate that win, then that isn't the type of fans that he wants. So he was saying it was a victory worth celebrating? Yes. Yeah. Oh, I thought he was going to say something like, Guys, I don't blame you. Let's all go home and pretend this never happened. Don't celebrate this. Instead, he's like, we won. That's all that matters. Get out on those streets yeah. and go crazy and tip some cars yeah. over. Yeah. Come on, that's Mac what Brown. He, that's what How are you feeling, yeah, How like, are you feeling about the win? No, I was not feeling good at all. I mean, I was, yeah, I was glad they won, but it was not, I was not going to celebrate that. They, they were supposed to win by, by way more than that. And uh, they had started out winning by a lot. But, if you know, they always... They always blow it or almost blow it. ACC football. It's not great. Election Profit Makers is a Radio Point production with executive producers Alex Bach, Rich Corson, and Daniel Powell. With help from Houston Snyder and Kat Iosa. Woo, bacon and eggs coming right up. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash electionprofitmakers, side of steamed spinach and turkey sausage. Send your election prediction questions and steering wheel hand position analyses to contact at electionprofitmakers.com, hash browns, strawberry milkshake. If you want to try predictit.org, you can go to predictit.org slash promo slash EPM20 to receive up to $20 in matching funds. And as always, rate and review this diner on Yelp. Tell them these eggs were sizzling hot. This bacon was smoky and greasy just the way mama likes it. And those blueberry pancakes were TDF. To die for. I've been your line cook today. My name is Greasy Kid Midas, the original flapjack flipper. And I've been joined on the floor by my favorite waiter, John Kimball. Long John, trays go a-tumbling when he slips on his shoelace silver. John, have a nice week. I'll talk to you at some point in the future. Yeah, you too. Bye.